You're listening to the AfterBuzz TV Network. Now the largest new media platform on the web and your number one source for after-show entertainment. Very good, The AfterBuzz Studios in Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menunos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies. This is AfterBuzz TV's Murder in the First After Show. We'll break down tonight's episode and get you all the latest news and gossip. And now, another post-game wrap-up show for your favorite TV show. It's AfterBuzz TV's Murder in the First After Show. Hey everybody, welcome into the Murder in the First After Show. At last, it is Monday night, again here on AfterBuzzTV.com. Thank you so much for joining us tonight on Murder in the First. Season 1, Episode 5, of course, is called Pants on Fire. I'm your host, Bobby DeMiro. JB and Marina are out tonight. They didn't get the memo. We're back at work. They're still enjoying the holiday weekend. They will be back next week. Joining me is my co-host, Monsi Bolanos, and we have a very special guest today. He plays Detective David Mulk on Murder in the First, in addition to a ton of other acting work. Raphael Sparge, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sitting on the panel. We didn't want to put you on the couch far away from us. because <laughs> You're one special. of us. I feel special. We, yeah, well, you we're about to grill you, so talk to us in 20 minutes, see if you still feel special. He's going to be walking out in 20 minutes. Talk about pants on fire, huh? <laughs> Seriously. We have a lot to talk about today. We're going to get to the show in a second and go break down the episode like we always do. The first thing I want to know, Raphael, I want to ask you a couple things now that we've got you here. Mm. Um, talk to us about filming this thing. Obviously, with Botchko doing this, NYPD Blue Veteran, you kind of know what you're going to get in a good detective show, but what has the experience been like for you, somebody who has already worked a ton in this industry? Is it... Same old, same old, just another show. I mean, is it a little bit different? What's going on on set on Murder in the First? Yeah, I mean, look, the thing, it's funny because I was actually at an event where um, um, Stephen was talking to a bunch of bloggers about the show, and um, someone said to him uh, straight up, he said, you know, Mr. Bosco, you've been in a lot of, with a lot of remarkable casts, and you've sort of seen a lot of great actors, and what sets this cast different than other now he said this and he said this publicly so i'm repeating what he said but he said <laughs> they, they said you know what how is this cast different than other casts he said they're no assholes <laughs> <laughs> so i can say straight up um there's some wonderful people on this cast and uh it was so freaking fun uh just hanging out um in addition to that look you know he, he this this fine gentleman, along with Eric Lodal, who's obviously sort of, he's partnered with, they're both executive producers in the show, but, you know, what they've done is they've, um, there's an understanding of what the math is for this equation, right? Which is taking a case and then really sort of leaving enough clues so that you're, you know, you said, sort of, oh, wait, wait oh, oh, hold on a second. Oh, no, no, no. So that you're kind of always on, on your toes, right? And, and they're, uh, in this case, you are in the master's hands, right? Yeah. So that, that's, that's the thing that you sort of feel. There's, was great ease and great sort of like comfort in the fact that we all knew that we were in the hands of a master. Now, what about Detective Bulk here? Because he is very, you are very, um, maybe provide a lot of moments of levity in otherwise sometimes a very serious place. And the cleanse in episode one that we all laughed about, the karaoke tonight. Is it is it a conscious decision on your part when you see the script and you see these things to say, 
that's my role to kind of maybe be a little funny or a little off color or whatever as a detective. Or, I mean, is something serious coming for you? Not to get too far into predictions, mm-hmm. but you have had serious moments too. Is something more serious coming for Detective Mulk where we're going to say, hey, we thought he was kind of a funny guy and just sort of an insignificant, oh, another character, another detective, but there's actually a serious thing here and we need to investigate. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I think we saw some of that uh, it last week, I yeah. guess, with his the, the gal that he's sort of interested in, yeah, uh, who's Hannah, the potential with, witness, yeah, right? right? And, and how she put him in this sort of bind of being, you know, wanting to sort of leverage her friendship against his role as a cop, right? And and he obviously takes his job very seriously. So even though he has this levity, you know that he really cares about what he does. Again, one of the things that has been really wonderful about the writing is while they're... Look, they're not reinventing the wheel here, right? This is not... Um, uh, you know, redesigning. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of cop dramas out there, right? Yeah. But but you know, how do you do it within a form that we know? Um, and how do you tell a great story? And how do you keep it interesting? And particularly for an audiences who are familiar with um, this type of form, it seems like you know every few years is a show sort of in this vein. But how do you do it differently enough so that you maintain people's interest? And you've got a very sophisticated viewing audience out there, yeah. right? I mean, they've seen a million oh, shows. Yeah. So so what he's done, and which is what I appreciate in the writing, is that while we might recognize the characters, he seems to give each of them kind of a little bit of a spin so that while you might go, oh, that's that guy, you might go, oh, 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 that's interesting. There's more going on there than I initially thought. And, and I think he's also sort of clearly cast a, a lot of. I mean, you know, you look at the list of the the cast list. I mean, between Tay Diggs, Kathleen Robertson, James Cromwell, Tom Felton, you know, uh, Richard Schiff. I mean, on and on and on. I mean, these are all, these are top players, right? So what he's done is he's cast really good actors who you know will bring more to the part. Like tonight's episode, for example, Richard Schiff doing that great speech in the courtroom. Yeah. And we were talking about when we were watching it. You know, that was a huge mouthful, right? Um, but he put all sorts of wonderful spins on that that are just Richard. And that's what you know when you hire someone like Richard because he's so smart and he's a really, he's a, you know, he's got a lot of, he's got a lot of that wolf kind of like, <laughs> let me at him in, 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 in his work. You know it's going to be more interesting than my, what might even be on the page. Yeah. So, um, uh, I, I think the combination of, of the writing where he's looking, you know, to kind of open things up. And, and then I think, again, this, you know, some of the choices of these actors. Now, uh, tell me a little bit about that, because the choices always interest me in every show and everything we ever see. You never know as a viewer in the viewing audience never knows what's scripted, what's unscripted, how much maybe right. flexibility you have. So what is it day to day, week to week on that set? Do you get the script and they say this is how it's going to be? Stay within the lines. Or are you kind of able to color outside the lines and sort of extemporaneously essentially improv a little bit maybe? And make it. Your character and yourself, essentially. Yeah. You know what? I mean, well, there's a lot of answers to that question. Generally, they're pretty tight about really wanting to stick to the lines. Um, there are things, there are certain moments where you can kind of riff a little bit. Um, um, you know, there was that whole, I think in the, in that first, uh, episode where I said, you know, tastes like this, you know, don't knock until yeah. you try it. I mean, I think I, I think they let the camera roll a little bit and I kind of threw in a few more, but, but in general, um, and then, and then you've got four or five and they pick what they want. Right. Yeah. But, but in general, obviously the writers care deeply about the writing, what's on the page. They've suffered every period, every <laughs> comma, every ender, but, and some shows are a little bit more, uh, sort of hyper sticklers about it. And others are a little like, yeah, well, that's kind of the spirit of it. Um, uh, you know, obviously somewhere in the middle there where you can sort of feel like, you know, 
I mean, I come from the theater. Obviously, the text is high, you know very important to me, and sort of having it word perfect. But what you do, what what does happen is that you, as you progress through a show, you begin to kind of get an idea of what your guy is, mm-hmm. you know. And w- so you will see in rehearsals, for example, where a certain actor goes, you know, what this seems kind of like. It seems like he should say that. I'm not going to say this. Why don't you give him that line, and then I'll say this. And so that we kind of sometimes negotiate that. Now, when changes like that happen, you have to get the producer on the phone and say, are you okay with this? Right. <laughs> you know, we're going to make a change. Everyone, excuse me, everyone wants to make sure that, you know, n- no one's just changing this willy-nilly. Yeah. Um, but you obviously want to court magic. That's what the camera captures is that miracle the first time. Uh, you know, the scene between tonight, between... Uh, Hildy in English at the bar. Um, I love that scene. And, and I remember going in because I had to uh, do a little dubbing. Uh, it's called looping um, for the for the for my part of the singing stuff. Uh, you know, because we were supposed to be doing cat calls and stuff in the background, and we we went and laid some other stuff in. But I I remember watching it in the in the looping room, and I came back and told them on the set. Wow, guys, you could have fried an egg on that scene. That was yeah. smoking hot. Yeah, and while we were watching it, not to interrupt you, you said that's chemistry right there. Yeah, right? I mean, yeah, that's yeah, exactly I mean, what you said yeah. as Didn't we were you watching feel it. That. Right? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Right yeah. in the moment. Yeah, no, it was great. And, and it's and that's what the that's what the camera captures, right? It captures that sort of that happening right now. Yeah. And it and it kind of just electrifies you when it happens. I'm wondering too about when we were watching this episode just now, which we will get to in just a second, break it down. I'm interested to hear what you think about all these other characters because you mentioned you don't see the scenes you're not in, obviously. So this is right. sort of a first viewing for you, too. So this will be interesting yeah. to have your view on the panel. But one thing that stuck with me is every time you're watching, every scene you're saying, this is so beautifully shot, this looks amazing, this looks beautiful. It it, it was surprising to me. We think it's beautifully shot because we right. don't know. We're outsiders. <laughs> but for an insider like you to see it, Talk to me about how this thing is being shot. Maybe the cinematography. Is it unique to you from what TV is doing? Or is it just conscious decisions by the filmmakers in little moments to do something beautiful that you see and it kind of grabs you in a unique way? Yeah, well, you know, maybe uh, you don't think about it perhaps when you're watching. I mean, there's so many things that going in, go into making a story, right? Mm-hmm. And And there is a visual language that goes into telling a story. What happens is the visual language gets set in the pilot. And in this case, Tommy Schlamy, who did a little show called West Wing. Um, Never heard of it. Another one called uh, Sports <laughs> Night. And, um, you know, a few other, a couple Emmys or something or other. <laughs> um, but but he, did, he shot the pilot. And, and what he did was he came in and really created what was kind of this very, um, I want to say, visceral uh, uh, visual language for telling this. So if you notice, the camera kind of is moving a lot, and it has a creeping kind of quality, and you kind of always... It doesn't just sort of, sort of sit, kind of plop down. I mean, sometimes if you... if you, Certain shows, you'll notice, and, you know, because I work in the medium, I, th- I think about this a lot. If there's a three... Sh- like, if there's a scene between the three of us, they'll do a master shot, which is the three of us, and then they'll come in and do... Plop it down here, plop it down here, plop it down there, and usually it's pretty static. If you notice... It's always kind of doing this, right? And you don't really, and it's moving and kind of changing. And, and so as a result, it, it gives you, as a, as a viewer, it's affect you on a subliminal level, but it really gives you this like, oh, what's going to happen? It's kind of creepy, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the camera's creeping and it's creepy. So so <laughs> what, what he did was he set this language and then all the other directors after that then really worked to sort of really maintain that and, and our incredible DP. So, but, but I, I, what, what I, what I am, um, uh, ex, you know, again, 
when you have someone who knows the form this well, again with Bochco and all the other folks that he assembled, the the ability to kind of play within that form and then do something that's sort of different, interesting, and 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 again smart enough, because you know, as 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 you've said about from your from your audience who watches your show, people are watching these details, you yeah. know, and really hold mm-hmm. all of us accountable to these details, and and I think that there's some very sophisticated audience members out there and particularly these days in this remarkable period where you know there's just every night like oh my god there's that show oh my god there's this show you know um that that's you know you, you know our, all of our dvrs are burning up right so so um what, what what this means is that uh we have to really play to the highest denominator and and again i i i mean it's cool to be in a show that you kind of really admire as well i mean yeah. I'm a, I'm, i can honestly say now five episodes in i'm a fan of the show it's a cool show you know, it's one last thing before we get to the show, because you kind of mentioned it, how this is such an era, maybe a lot of people call it a golden era of television, because a lot of stuff that's on, but yeah. it's also such a digital era that cameras and filmmaking equipment have become so mainstream that anybody can go, I have a ton of great camera equipment myself, but I'm not ready to film something like this. But the point is, a lot of people maybe look at shows like this and say, how would you film that? How could I have filmed that with my equipment, whatever it is? And the average viewer, do you find the average viewers maybe more intelligent to those things than they were... 15 years ago oh yeah I, I think we are I think you know because you can make movies for tens of dollars now right yeah. so um, which is incredible courtesy of that little that little device that sits on our desk I mean I you know <laughs> and, and films that well, you know have been shot on iPhones and yeah. right. you know um, uh, that have won Oscars and, and so um, it, it, I think we all have and then also video games and all the other ways in which I mean we, there's so much content that we're constantly sort of absorbing so I, I, I do believe that we've all become sort of um, you know kind of the standard uh, just sort of kind of, you know, dump to dump to dump kind of TV doesn't really play anymore. Yeah. So again, you, you have to ask yourself, and that's why you hire someone like Tommy to come in and kind of really like, okay, how are we going to really make this interesting? How are we going to really take it past what we would initially? And um, again, th- that's what I, I mean, it, uh, you know, every scene you're a little bit on edge. It's like, Oh, why, why, why do I feel this way? God, I feel... And, and again, that's because the camera's doing what it's doing. You saw our reactions to a couple scenes. <laughs> yeah, you were like, whoa, no! You should have seen us last week when Hildy and Mulligan, or when Hildy and English know, kissed. We lost it. Oh, lost in it. In the viewing room so last funny. week. Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for it to happen again, but I kind of wanted it this time. Well, let's I was talk like about it. For it. I was like, go. <laughs> but isn't it isn't it wild? Because normally, I think of how many like shows like Moonlight or what, you know, the years and years before that happened, right? Yeah. Right. You know, and they they hit it on the fourth episode, right? <laughs> and it did. I didn't agree with it, but it didn't feel rushed. So there's a difference there. But it certainly surprised you. Right? Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was there yelling with everybody else. Trust yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> we were just so shocked. That's what it was. Yeah. Right, it was so right, sh- we were right. so shocked, but it was natural. It felt real. That well, wasn't the issue. It was just like, why? Let's talk about that relationship. In relation to the show today, the episode today, having seen this now, um, Hildy and English never really quite have that conversation about, are we okay, whatever, until they get to the bar, until alcohol is involved. And I, and I know that the choice wasn't to make them be three sheets to the wind drunk. I don't think that was the case for either one of them. But there's still alcohol involved. They're in a loud bar. This isn't probably the mature place to have a conversation. And they have this conversation in the relationship, and she says to him, you know, we're good, are we good, or whatever, and he says, we're always good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, such a good reading. So, to me, it's it's almost like English, because of what happened to his wife in the first episode, because of what's going on with his life, and they know that this was a mistake, doesn't want to broach the, sus- the subject. And I got the faintest, faintest, faintest feeling that, according to Mulligan, they're not good. Am I wrong? I didn't get that. 
No, I didn't get that at all. Really? Yeah. I, I got just, just, just I, a little bit. No, I just think that she was... This is a woman's perspective. <laughs> yeah, that's what I want to hear. Go ahead. This go ahead. is from a woman's perspective. I think she was like wanting to talk about it wanting it to develop into something so she kept saying if you notice she kept kind of saying the same thing over like are we good are we, are we okay that's a girl thing because we want we want to elaborate we don't like one word answers we don't like two words we want to talk about it we want to discuss it she i think was trying to get him to elaborate to uh, speak on it m- more than just three words i think she wanted to really dissect it as a woman that's what i thought and maybe she seemed a little irritated because he just kept saying yes you know, but I don't think she was. I don't think she's not good. And she's already been interrupted twice: once by Detective Mulk mm-hmm. in the court case, not really Detective Mulk, but the other time by uh, Sally Smoot. So she's been interrupted twice by this. Third time's the charm. Rule of threes in television, right? Yep. Third time's the charm, and she wants to know this, and he never gives her the satisfaction. She said, though, kiss and make up, or whatever it exactly. was. Exactly. Forget about it. So, and I know that's a joke, but behind every joke, there is some truth. Exactly. But then, but then here's the thing. You know, it's interesting when he sings that song. And then she obviously it gets a little too hot on there for her, right? Mm-hmm. You know, at last, right? <laughs> and 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 she's like, oh, I gotta get out of here, right? So she clearly, it's 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 complicated. We know she's single. We know she's divorced. Right. We know she's out there dating. It's complicated, right? So I think at that moment we realized she maybe has genuine feelings for him. The fact that she couldn't sit there and keep listening to him that she had to leave just shows that there's more to it. Well, and that's the thing. She is such a professional. We've talked about this, Raphael, how the way that Mulligan and English are portrayed are obviously such professional detectives. They're not new. They're not rookies. They're not un, you know unprofessional or mature. They know that this is wrong to go down this path. And even if she may have feelings for him, which I think she does, mm-hmm. um, she knows she can't go down that path. So she needs to leave. And so she can't be there. And it's a conscious decision by the writers to choose Etta James, to choose at last, as opposed right. to doing, you know, Little John or Charlie Daniels or whatever else he wanted to do. That was Etta James in a very conscious decision. So, And and, and let me just put a shout out because it's T-Bone Burnett who's yeah. the music supervisor. So um, uh, there's a, there's a, you've got about as heavy weight a hitter as you possibly can as a, as a music person. So there's a lot of conscious thought about what, what, what all those, what all the music choices are as well. Yeah. How about your music choice in this episode? <laughs> how about it? Right. Because <laughs> you were telling us quite the story out that you had about four days to learn this and no pressure. T-Bone Burnett's there and he's going to watch you and make a judgment about he you. He came on the set, you know, was, and we talked, we talked on the phone. He could not have been nicer and sweeter, you know, it, talk about, you know, a legend, right? Yeah. And and um, he just was uh, uh, really supportive, and he basically sort of gave me some ideas about what he wanted to do. It was a 12-bar blues. You, We only ultimately saw a piece of what it is, but really, you know, Mulk really sets, you know, really tees it up for, um, you know, Mr. Rent to come through and, like, kill it, right? So, because, I mean, you know, uh, Tay was in Rent yeah. years, right? So. Yeah. Yeah, so you got a lot of, you got a lot of theater actors, so you got a lot of detectives who can just magically sing. Yeah. <laughs> So, anyway, I'm happy to have gone before him and not after him. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, but, but uh, you know, he, he just sort of said, you know, he has got to be, you know, we want to have fun, but he just can't be too good. But he's got to be good enough to kind of like, you know, have, you know, and everyone's drunk and having a good time, mm-hmm. at a, you know, at karaoke. So, so um, but it was it was kind of a, a wild thing to learn because I learned the whole song to, you know, two enormous verses and everything. So, 
Um, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was sort of a long weekend to kind of get that. Do you me. have the footage of the entire performance? Have they I, released I, that to you? <laughs> I, I, I think a friend of mine sort of filmed a take of it, you know what I mean, from the set. But, but uh, basically, shy of that, it was kind of, it'll, it'll probably remain bootleg. Yeah. Listen, hey, it's 2014, the way that people are expanding across industries and stuff. Maybe you have a recording contract <laughs> on your hands. You never know. You never know. <laughs> With my 12 bar blues, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I think I'll keep my day job. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the other thing, and the other interesting relationship here, obviously, English and Mulligan, that's going to develop forever, forever. We will see this in every episode. But this whole Mulligan and Blunt situation, uh, super creepy. You talk about the way things are shot. We never talked about this scene afterwards, but the scene when Blunt is at her house, and he comes through to walk up to her, and he doesn't come into the light. He stays in the shadows behind that tree, and so his face, you can see him, but he's covered in shadows, which I thought was a great way to shoot it, because he was creepy and aggressive and weird in that situation. Totally, right? And you, you feel her thinking about her gun and her purse, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, what woman wants to come home and have a guy standing there, and he knows where she lives? That's so creepy, right? Yeah. And, and, um, and, uh, and, and how about Tom Felton's American yeah. accent, for goodness <laughs> sakes. So good. He's so good, you know? Um, but you forget he was in Harry Potter. Yeah. Watching, you forget it's right? the same character. I mean, he was telling me he, 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 started, he started doing Harry Potter. I mean, he was 11 years old, right? It's amazing. So he sort of grew We've all grown up with him, right? Yeah. And he's, God, he's just such a sweet guy. And, and, I, and I had such high regard for him. I just love what he's doing. It's just... He's uh he's just so he's so good in the part and and and, um, and you like him and he's winning and you believe he's te- this tech guy but he's he'll, he's also a shark and yeah I agree he makes me feel good and bad depending on what's happening in the episode right sometimes I'm like rooting for him and other times I'm like no he makes bad. me feel all bad I'm it's, Warren Daniels right it's are you a Doberman is that yeah what you're... <laughs> I'm like Warren Daniels he makes me feel all bad <laughs> oh no yeah he makes me feel all bad but I, I feel for him I'm not gonna lie I'm rooting for Eric. No, in a way. Yeah, yeah, right. I right. kind of am. Right, you know. right. It's bad. Is that bad? <laughs> well, judging by the fact... He's cute, right? <laughs> I, 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 a little Considering bit. Mark Strauss's alibi held out, I think that is bad. I think you might be looking at the Mark. Um, he just had some foreplay with her. Okay? <laughs> that is what we are told, they and kiss. that is what I'm sticking with. Right. I'm rooting yeah. for Eric. Go, Eric. <laughs> We're going to find out that it's not him. It's not him. Well, that's what I'm wondering. And obviously, we are not going to ask for spoilers because you can't give them anyways. But do you see how far in advance do you see scripts? Do you only see your scenes that you're in or do you get the entire script before you work? No, we we, uh, we got the script and we would all race and rip, rip it open and go like, oh, and we'd all talk about it, right? I think there may have been characters, some characters that don't give, get the whole thing. And, 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 um, and then I know as they got to the last two or three they started watermarking them very carefully and really kind of monitoring them very carefully and and so um uh on the other show i do once upon a time they also do that with that especially as you get to the end and sort of some of the finales because people get so protective of those stories so but yeah i mean they were right to do that obviously uh, um but uh none of us knew until the very end where it was going to go they didn't say um none of us you know knew which direction it was going to mm-hmm. kind of go um, and uh, and and none of us knew who was going to be back next year or not. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. which way is it going to go? Right? Did it end? I don't know if you can say this. Did it end? Hypothetically speaking, that it, it wouldn't continue. Do you think the season one ends and it could end there? Like if you didn't do a second season, the viewers would be happy. Well, as to the, how it l- let me put it to you this way, because um, someone asked me about this specifically, and I think I can say this: um, a, a fantastic show, which is The Killing. Um, uh, which is somewhat similar, right? Yeah. Uh, in terms of this, uh, which 
you know, again, I didn't invent this, but, you know, obviously a lot of people were very concerned about or very upset about how it sort of didn't mm -hmm. end. Um, I can say that, that, that there will, there will be, um, clarity okay. in this. Um, so, so, um, there, there won't be, there won't be questions. Um, I think you'll have clarity. Good. There you go. We'll That's find, the ultimate we'll tease. We'll find out that Eric is innocent. I don't know That's about that. Give us another few weeks. <laughs> Speaking of potential murderers, let's talk about my guy, David. The other David Hertzberg, the uh, attorney, um, who I'm telling you guys, that's my guy. He has motive. He had opportunity. Besides the and he's got a ponytail. Right? <laughs> Besides <laughs> the, creep, the ponytail. The creepy ponytail. Right? I love that's that. my guy. But we see him in court today struggling with criminal law because that's not what he does because Blunt had Warren Daniels fired. Um, or not fired. Blunt had Warren Daniels leave the case. And then we see kind of David struggling. The first thing that I'm interested in is the mayor meeting though which I think everybody's going to forget about because so much other stuff happened but it's the first one of the first scenes in the show it's the 1.6 million in bundled campaign contributions mm -hmm. which is huge in a mayoral race oh, even in yeah. a big city uh, what do we make of that I know you know a lot better than we do but what do you make of that it happens so fast I'm glad we I'm glad we're talking about it it happens so quick I was under the impression that he obviously knows some stuff your guy, David. He be, oh, David, okay. Knows some stuff that the rest of the population does not know. Because when he threw that in his face, got up and left, it was like, you have power. You don't just do that to a mayor. You must have some, you must know something for you to be able to treat the mayor like that and walk out and take a bottle of wine with you. Come on. You ha he ha so I, I'm thinking that there's something that we don't know and this is his way of kind of manipulating the system. Obviously, we saw that the judge switched when they came out for um, yeah. Eric Blunt's trial, we had a different judge. And the woman that was with the mayor during that meeting, she was there, saw that it was a different judge, walked out. And then DA Jackie was real mad. She was real mad. So clearly there's something. He has some sort of connections. He knows something that we don't know about this mayor guy. Is it... I don't know if you're making it too complicated. You're probably right, because it yeah. has to be complicated. But I think it might be almost as simple as $1.6 million, money talks in politics. And this is David Hertzberg saying, you have this money if you call the dogs off blunt. If you don't call the dogs off, you're not going to get this money. And we'll put a little political pressure on you to not follow through with this case, because it's flimsy at best, is what his argument mm -hmm. is going to be. And the judge changing, and maybe some other things will change down the road, are the way for... Uh, the mayor and the way for the city of San Francisco to kind of call off the dogs, A, without losing face, because I know Jackie does not want to look bad because she has an election coming up, and B, still getting that money that the mayor's going to want for his campaign and whatever. But the problem with getting that money is the mayor's then beholden to Eric Blunt. Mm -hmm. And Lord knows where that goes down in the future, because if he actually is the murderer and you're the mayor beholden to a murderer, that's a different set of problems. Right. We're speaking way too far in the future, but it's interesting way to think far. about. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're five in, right? So yeah. we did ten. So you figure you're halfway there, right? Halfway. Oh man, I can't. Uh, we'll get to predictions in a minute. Let's just <laughs> let's hold off on predictions. We'll get there in just a second. <laughs> but what about that polygraph test with Eric Blunt? I know Raphael, you uh, reveled at that scene too, and how good the polygraph giver was. How good he was. How calm he was. How specific he was in what he did. So good. And and how good, how well Eric played off him. How well Tom Felton plays off him being just. Him, who he is, being Eric Blunt in that situation. You, you, you know, there's so many. In, I mean, the casting is amazing, um, uh, just through the ranks. I mean, the the, the couples therapist, um, 
um, and and she's uh, I, I did a movie with her years ago, and she's incredible. And and the you know obviously the um, uh, um, this polygraph guy and all of the support the the, the guy the the Chinese guy at the at the pickle yeah. factory. I mean, there's just yeah. you don't think of I mean from an acting point of view these they're all so good, and you go like oh I know that guy you know it just seems so so spot on right yeah and um um and it's fun to watch because again as you said you know I haven't seen the scenes it was the first time I got to watch them with you really sort of we got to watch it live together so um uh, I, I only sort of you know read it and so watching it come to life um it was really it was really fun yeah it's that's something the polygraph really interested me too and the way Daniels was Daniels is such a Doberman like he's been saying he is such a Doberman and he will not budge until Blunt meets his demands. My issue with Blunt is Blunt keeps talking money and says, I'll pay you $10 million, I'll pay you whatever. Daniels is successful. I know money talks to a lot of people, but he's successful enough, and he can't possibly be that enticed by the $10 million. There's got to be a separate reason for doing this. Maybe it's just the challenge of being a defense attorney for this guy and corralling him in and winning an unwinnable case. I'm with know. you. I'm with you on that. I agreed. I thought money wasn't going to do anything for this Doberman. Because he's, I mean, he's old yeah. not to get, but he's old, he's been working forever, he's made like a he ton of money. he probably has all the money he needs. Yeah. So what are you going to do with $10 million? You know, like, I don't, I don't know. I, I agree with you. I think it's more of a challenge. But and he's just interested. But on Blunt's perspective, he has nothing else to give. He has nothing else to give but money. And, and the problem is he almost has too much money in the sense that it's become a crutch for him. He can't give loyalty. He can't give any significant favor in return. It's just a financial transaction. If you don't want $5 million, I'll give you $10 million, which sounds cool. We'd all like to have $10 million to be able to give away. But I think it's actually such an empty existence that you can't do anything else but have your money talk. And you're essentially buying friends, influence, you know, people to bounce ideas off of, people to listen to. And that's got to be a really, really lonely kind of existential existence on his end. Which I think is why you see him as depressed as he is. <laughs> I love that he's just like nodding. He just sees he's here. Just he's like, like, yep. It's, it's great to hear you. Yeah. It's just great. <laughs> We're probably way overthinking right? this, but that's okay. No, no, it's so cool. I mean, again, this is what's great is that there's, they've given they've given you a lot to chew on, right? Yeah. There's a lot of meat in the mm-hmm. bone, right? So, which is great. Yeah, you're telling me. The one thing about Blunt that I do want to talk about is when Bill Wilkerson, who, by the way, JB, one of our hosts who's not here, it is his contention that Bill the pilot is the murderer. That is his thing. He's been going with that since day one. So, yeah. And that was cool, that scene with him and his yeah. ex-wife and, the, and then the video and all that. Was like, oh, where did oh, you get that? Yeah. Like, oh, was well, where, where did she get that? I don't know. Tell us. <laughs> Who is it? I, I, think, you... I think Blunt sent it to her. I think Eric Blunt sent it to her. Because of what they said, that interaction that they had, where he's like, I have your back. Yes. You have mine. Yeah. I think Eric Blunt, this is part of the thing with money, part of the thing with growing up as an orphan with the mom and the dad, the story we've kind of already been through with the two of them, the dad's obviously dead and the mom's been dead. I think Blunt is so warped with what he views as loyalty and friendship and relationships and stuff like that. We know he's got some unhealthy relationships anyways. Excuse me. And I think he is so warped on that that he is desperate for quote-unquote loyalty from people like Bill, but it's not a two-way street for him because he's never experienced loyalty before. So he wants people to bow to him, Blunt does, because he's so you know, powerful in Silicon Valley. And he wants people to do his bidding, and he'll turn around and say, oh, I've got your back too. Wink, wink, sure I do. When actually Blunt is in it for Blunt. And he wants to look at loyalty from other people because he thinks he deserves it, but he's not ready to give it out. And if you're not ready to give it out, you can't get it back. I disagree. Really? I don't think it was Eric. I think you need to point it to your ponytail attorney. 
To David? Yes. Well, that, that would be interesting, that, that too. That's what I think. Yeah. yeah, I think he would send it. That's I, I don't trust too. this guy, but I don't think he's the murderer. I just don't trust him. Do you trust anybody with a ponytail? <laughs> Never. <laughs> <laughs> Never. No. Well, then there you go. You're biased against him to begin with. I think, Look, I think Blunt... Blunt is not a friend to anybody, and it's not all his fault because of how he grew up, because of where he is, and because of the industry that he is in. And I know one thing, one problem that I have with the show actually is kind of a stereotypical way to portray Silicon Valley with this, with the way that Blunt is. And maybe they do this just because it's an easy thing for people to kind of bite off and see and say, okay, this is the quintessential Silicon Valley young hotshot, lots of money, whatever, which is fine. But if we're going to portray him like that, this is a guy who will do whatever it takes to win and get whatever he can to get, and he doesn't care who he hurts in the process, and he's not loyal to his lawyer, his lawyer David. He's certainly not loyal to Bill, and I think he gave the video to Bill's wife to cause a rift between them, and he's certainly not going to be loyal to anybody else. The video specifically, here is my motive for Blunt. He gives the video to Bill's wife. She leaves him. She divorces him or whatever's going to happen there. Bill turns desperate, and Blunt said, mi casa es su casa. Well, guess what? Bill then becomes beholden to Blunt, and he has to do Blunt's bidding and do whatever he wants because Bill feels like, Blunt took me in, Blunt helped me out, I owe him now. Little does he know Blunt created this snowball. Just my opinion. I think he's the guy. Not for the murder, but for this. You make a very good argument. <laughs> but, no, I... I, I was actually I in think... the writer's room. No, <laughs> right? <laughs> I was listening to them read over the episode. I, I, I think that uh, Eric Blunt's character is purposely shown or shot or the way he is is done on purpose for us to think he's guilty. But I don't think he is. So all the all the things like you're saying, oh, he's only in for himself, I think that's, that's, that's just his personality and I think they purposely want you to think that. So that they're making us go one way, but then the show's going to take a twist and a turn, and I'm going to tweet him, and I'm going to be like, see, I told you. (laughs) I wonder wonder what the poll, I mean, if they were to take a poll on Twitter at this point, who they would think it would. That's a good question. Actually, we'll open it up right now. We'll do it at the end of the thing, but that's a good question. So if you're watching on YouTube, hit comment below. um, Tell us. What do you think? Not only who the murderer is, because we've talked about that, but what do you think of Blunt, and how are they portraying Blunt? Because that's an interesting question in and of what you were asking is, are we seeing Blunt's whole story? Right. I think we are. If you think we're being maybe led down a different path, that's really interesting. I guess I'm, I guess we'd have to see evidence to that, though. And in five episodes, we haven't seen a lot of evidence. Right, but we also haven't seen evidence that he's guilty. It's the same thing. Oh, I disagree with you there. I, all we know, he, he was there. He was there with Cindy. But we don't really know anything. They keep trying to. And I feel like if they had solid evidence, they would have already had it. They would have. They wouldn't be in the situation that they are. Dia Jackie wouldn't hate her life right now. <laughs> You know what I mean? She looked a little upset. Yeah, she hates her life. And, and, he, and he passed the polygraph test. Exactly. And he pa- Thank you. That's why you're here. <laughs> exactly. Come back next week. Be on her team. You guys yes. can argue against me. <laughs> no, it's so great to be in the middle. I love being here. It's like, wee. It's a tennis match. You're just watching it go back and forth. You yeah, missed, I love it. On the first or second episode, I can't remember what we were arguing about. We argued about something literally for about a half hour. One very specific thing in one scene. Um, it was uh, we had to keep moving eventually. Like, okay, <laughs> we're just not going to come to a consensus on this one. Let's just agree to disagree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Mark Strauss now, because to your um, discredit, I suppose Mark Strauss's alibi was discredited, mm-hmm. or was excuse me, was confirmed because of Sally Smoot and this doctor and stuff. Such a funny scene with her. Mm-hmm. That was such unbelievable acting. Love that it's, scene. it's the idea as an actor, and I'm certainly no expert, but it's the idea of having a uh, 
an underlying emotion that you need to let a little bit out of, but you can't do it too much and you can't hide it too much. And so you kind of walk that line where she has to let the audience know that, you know, the sweat's starting to come and the heat's yeah. being turned up, yeah. but she can't go over the top because she's trying to hide it from the detectives. And it's such a fun emotion to watch actors do something like this. It's got to be very difficult as an actor. I don't, maybe it's easy. But it's got to be difficult as an actor to have one underlying emotion, but having to mask it with a second one. Oh, she played it beautifully. It was just great. Beautifully, just she killed it. And it's so fun to watch Mulligan in English again and again and again on this episode and always. There's some hard asses. They will go good cop, bad cop. They'll go bad cop, bad cop. They they play so well against everybody. It's fun to watch. They did it with Strauss in the interrogation room. Yeah, they did great. it with her. And threatening to impound her car and doing whatever else. And it is so... It's it, it's uncomfortable scenes and it's serious scenes. But, like, you can't help but chuckle when you watch it. Because it's just... It's two cats playing with a mouse. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it's yeah, exactly yeah. what it is. It's... I, I love to see the two of them do that. And those, to me, are the best scenes in this thing where the two of them kind of get to be detectives. You know? And the rest of the whole... Anybody on... Anybody in the San Francisco homicide unit kind of gets to be detectives. And gets to do what we do... I'm a, you know, I'm a homicide detective, and this is what I do, and it's fun to watch them work because they turn the heat up on people, and it's just their chemistry is on at all times. It's not just when it's tension and they have that those feelings going back and forth. It's when they're interrogating somebody. The chemistry is just there between them. Yeah, it's it's just like and, and, law and order. And, and allow me to say is that that's a thing that you know you can you can write on the page, you can try and direct it in the scene. But it's one of those like either you is or you ain't. You know what I mean? And you is, and you, you, is you heard it here. You is you ain't, and they is um, definitely. They got chemistry, and and it's fantastic to watch. It's like I remember watching the pilot, going, "Whoa, whoa, that's just." I mean, they're great on the screen together. Mm-hmm. And, and and again, of course, you know you, I can you can only imagine the lists and the things and the names they go through, and uh, you know probably they suffered of these decisions, you know and. And 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 it works, um, which is you know again really really great in the scenes where they need it, which is like in the bar, but just in the scenes where they don't necessarily need it, it's right. still there. It's still there. You can see they work very well together. I I love them as a pair. I think it was very very well cast, and I'm glad it wasn't somebody like that we were expecting. Maybe somebody from that's already on TV all the time. You know, like Tay Diggs. We don't know him to be on television we know him for movies we know him for theater so i like that it was somebody different and i like that it wasn't a stereotypical typecast detective there's plenty of detectives nothing against law and order i love watching it but kind of those type of actors who you see and you say oh that person looks like a detective Mm -hmm. i look at tay diggs and i think of a lot of roles and i don't think detective yeah so to see something like this it humanizes it a little bit actually pretty much every detective in that unit i don't think any of you are stereotypically oh yeah that guy's a detective i can imagine him on stuff it's sort of like i look at every homicide unit detective in that and i say that's an interesting casting. Okay. Even the chief of detectives, Jackie Perez's boyfriend or whatever, we haven't seen a ton of him. But I look at people like that and it's like, huh. Yeah. I kind of like it. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. It's re- a really interesting casting all yeah. through. Yeah. Yeah. Blunt blunt on down and Warren Daniels and all those guys. I could watch Warren Daniels talk all you day You love him. Long. He's brilliant. He's oh, brilliant. Oh, Lord. He's yeah. just... And so calm and so cool and such a just... Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. What a predator. I totally agree. <laughs> See, he terrifies me more than Eric, Eric Blunt. Oh, yeah, but he he's ter- not the murderer. Okay. Unless you want to get crazy no, with your No, he's not the murderer. Okay, that's <laughs> fine. I know that. But I'm just saying, he grieves, He scares me. He, ter- he, he terrifies me for my life. The way real attorneys do. I mean... It, right, they, yes. They, like, you know, they're trained killers. Yeah. I mean, they may not kill anyone, but they're trained killers. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Just yeah. watching him on the screen, I'm just like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
Yeah, I, I totally agree. Well, let's get to Raphael. I want to talk about some other stuff you're doing. I know you got a lot going on. Before we get to that, I want to do predictions, though. So let's cue that one up and do a couple predictions, you guys. <clears throat> and now, you're after Buzz TV predictions. So, Raphael, one of the predictions we do every week, and I can't have you predict this because you know how this ends and you're not going to release anything like this to us. Um, but we always, every week, kind of go around the table and say, okay, who's your killer this week? Because it changes for a lot of people a lot of times. So, Monsi, I'm just going to ask you straight up. Seeing what you saw this episode in addition to the first four, who's the killer? I'm going to have to go back to my first... Last week, I said Jeremy. Mm. Jeremy. That who, that was who I said. Jeremy, the other the, computer. The, the, yeah. Yes. I saw, I saw that on Twitter, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. thought, definitely, I was like, Jeremy, but he wasn't in this episode, so that doesn't work for me. <laughs> um, I think I'm going to go back to my first one, Bill Wilkerson. Bill, the pilot. Bill Wilkerson. Okay. Yes. And see, that even makes more sense, because what if Eric did send the wife this video, right? But he did it because he knows he killed Cindy. So he's like, you killed the girl I was dating. I'm going to screw over your marriage. Oh, that's interesting. Boom. So Bill kills Cindy. Boom. That's a TNT news. You know, <laughs> boom. boom. <laughs> we know drama. We know drama. Boom. We know drama. So Bill kills Cindy, you're saying. Mm-hmm. Eric finds out or was there or whatever or it is Eric there. knows. Mm-hmm. So because Eric actually loves Cindy and had no intention of killing her, he sought revenge on Bill and sent the video I'm of hoping Bill your case here. with yeah. Cindy to Bill's wife. Yes. And that so here's make- my question. Mm-hmm. If Bill's having sex with Cindy on video, why doesn't Eric just kill Bill to get revenge on Bill for treating Cindy that way? Because he doesn't want to go to jail. He just, he, he said it to the Doberman, to your favorite character. He's like, I spent a couple days in jail. I don't want to be there. <laughs> he doesn't, he knows that. You know what I mean? And that, that whole argument that they had where he was like, I have your back, you have my back, that even, to me, shows that more. That he knows maybe that he killed Cindy and Bill knows that he knows, but he thinks he's just going to be quiet the whole time. Am I overanalyzing? All how far? How far off? Is no, she? I, I mean know, she's, right? she. He's asking you to analyze it, so I think <laughs> oh, you're, yeah. you're, okay. it's, it's cool. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to stick with David Hertzberg. He's my guy. I think he had motive in the sense of how much he dislikes Eric Blunt to frame Eric Blunt for this murder. I think he had opportunity. We'll, we'll learn more about him, and I think he's got sort of the means. I mean, he's a successful attorney. I think he had, probably has enough connections. If he didn't do it himself, I think he ordered it. I know he's a dark horse candidate, but I said him week one, and I'm just going to stick with him. I'm going to ride my horse till the end. <laughs> I might finish in last place. You're, I'm sure Raphael's like, this guy is so far off. It's not David <laughs> at all. But We probably both are real far off. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it's the simplest answer. It's probably Eric. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Don't touch my juice. <laughs> yeah, that was it. She touched the touched the cleanse juice. That's a great point. <laughs> any other any other predictions from you, Monsi? Maybe relationship stuff or anything other than the killer? No. I, I'm hoping I'm actually rooting right now for English and Mulligan. I'm rooting for them. To be a thing, to be an item? Um, to figure it out. To not be in the middle. You know, because they're going to be in the middle for a little bit until they discuss things and not saying that I want you to show us in an episode them talking it out for two hours, but I hope that they figure it out. Because if, if they can make it work, go for it. I'm down for it. But if, if they realize, you know, no, then just let's move on. I just don't want it to be in the middle for like too long. Interesting. See, I think it's not going to be in the middle for too long because I think Mulligan is more into English than English is into Mulligan. And I think Mulligan's going to come to a problem here. Not to say that she's desperate, but we have seen multiple scenes of her now dating people, going around on these horrible dates with guys. She had that weird 
date with Eric Blunt that wasn't actually a date, but he thinks it was. But she has all these situations with guys, and not to say she's desperate for it, but she's definitely looking for something. Mm -hmm. And I think she's found something in... Um, in English in the sense that when you were a detective and they've played this up a little bit on her dates people say you know these guys will say what do you do for a living she's like I'm a detective in the homicide unit and all the guys are kind of like what like what are, you, what are you talking about it's such right. a hard thing to do and it's such a hard thing to know and I don't you know know any detectives in real life but it's got to be such a hard and weird job that you need somebody in a relationship who understands it and understands your hours well guess who understands her hours her partner and guess who understands what she goes through her partner. And guess who's been there as a friend with her daughter and all this other stuff? Her partner. And I think, don't you point at me. And I think Mulligan, <laughs> I think Mulligan is way into English romantically. And I think he, more than her, is going to be able to take a step back and say, we shouldn't have kissed. That was a mistake. My wife just died. I've got all this stuff going on. I can't be with you, whatever. This is inappropriate. And there's going to be a huge clash between the two of them because she's going to want him and he does not reciprocate. Tell him he's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I take the fifth. Year, <laughs> All right. Hey, that's it for predictions. Before we go to Raphael, Raphael, tell us a little bit about other stuff you're doing. I know you have an environmental nonprofit, Green Wish. Um, I just saw the website today, saw the video and stuff like that. You and Ed Begley Jr. <laughs> started this thing. Yeah. Basically, um, you know, the simplest way to explain it is maybe you feel like I do when you pick up the paper and you go, oh, wow, the bees and there's the there's the there's the whales and there's like the climate change and there's the like all this stuff that we see in the air in Hong Kong and you know like you know you just go on and on and you just feel horrible and you think what the heck can I do and you feel sort of overwhelmed and then you get to like oh well screw it can't do anything because it's so bad it's all going to collapse anyway this is an answer to that this is an attempt to answer that and essentially what we did was we created a nonprofit that actually supports other nonprofits that are local and that are green so basically what we do is if you want to set up a chapter in your city wherever it is in the US you can actually we will give you the tools we'll let you work within our EIN number we'll get you all the stuff free banking everything so that you can create essentially a nonprofit in your city and then all the money you raise goes to local nonprofits right in your in your area. So in LA we've got Earth, Air, Water, Sustainable Education that are all supported. And uh, we've got chapters in Kansas, in Missouri, in uh, Denver, uh, about to be St. Louis, um, and Ma Massachusetts we're talking to. And, and, and there are more and more cities that are sort of contacting us and saying, where should we want to do this? And so what it does, it, it's that classic sort of thing of sort of saying as opposed to giving someone a fish, you give them a fishing rod and you actually allow them to kind of make a difference. And again, you know where the money goes. You get to identify the smaller nonprofits in your community that need the money and they really need the money. Mm -hmm. um, and they're not the ones with the big fancy buildings in downtown London. I mean, these are the ones that are really sort of doing sort of shovel-ready community work. And um, Ed loved this idea. It's sort of an umbrella of green. And um, he uh, came on as the face of the organization along with Rochelle, um, his wife, Carson Bigley. And, and um, you know, it was a great honor to work with him because uh, he is, you know, sort of a, connected with this environmental conversation for so long. And um, But it's it's a way to kind of really try to make a difference one, one, one little step at a time. And I really like this idea that I believe you said 90% of every dollar, 90 cents on every dollar goes back into a community. And it's just, it's, we talk about this a lot. I have a, a lot of AfterBuzz fans know Stefan Wallace, who hosts a ton of different shows. Um, he has a nonprofit here in L.A. I recently did a documentary following him around with his nonprofit. But the reason I mention it is he's a very, very small nonprofit working with homeless and stuff like that. Mm. And his big idea is these smaller nonprofits – know how to stretch every dollar so much differently than the big ones do. And the big ones are needed, and there's nothing wrong with these large nonprofits, but 
it, bureaucracy takes over and there's a lot of things. So this idea of smaller nonprofits getting this money and really literally stretching every cent locally maybe in a better way that a, than a big one may have you know, eyes on the ground or whatever. A small one may know exactly what needs to get done. Right. And, and you figure, again, they're community-based and, and they really sort of, you know, can make a difference in that area. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, there's just so much need out there, right? Yeah. There, there's, and, and, and my, my feeling, um, both as a father and then as, uh, sort of a concerned, you know, I mean, I never considered myself an environmentalist, but I certainly cared about, you know, the environment. I found it was something that I gravitated to, with all of our passions. Um, uh, I, I think that um, we can all get sort of environmental apathy, which is where we just shut down. And, and, and this was a way to kind of try and give people a little hope, a little encouragement. And then you can see it because it's community-based, and it, and it seemed like a great way to go. So um, I've been very encouraged by how this message has traveled, and people seem to sort of really pick up on it and want to are starting chapters now. So sure. tell me about Los Angeles chapter. I walk into a store. there. There's a card there that says Greenwich is a part of this. So what do I do? I give money on top of my bill how, like how does it work yeah, for the regular a, person it's a, it's a similar it's a similar i mean we've seen it many times before it's you know one three five bucks you add that onto your thing but but you know in other cities for example we do um uh we partner with events um there uh you know uh different uh sort of parties or celebrations or things any way in which you want to raise money um whether it be even working with specific sponsors or people who want to donate um just because they feel passionate about it but as opposed to helping one you're helping five right yeah. and and what what's cool about it is that then retailers love it because they don't seem like they're picking a favorite. They're really sort of, but they're saying, hey, this is community-based giving. We care about our community and we care about green. So that, that's a nice message for them to be also be communicating. So it, it works for multiple people, uh, on multiple levels, I should say. The nice thing also is that then the retailers who then host the cards in their store, they get a tax-deductible letter for the money that they raise. So they it also helps their bottom line, which is nice too. Yeah, it is greenwish.com, correct? That's correct. Greenwish.com. We will link that up on YouTube as well and obviously tweet that stuff because we are all Twitter users. I do have to tell you, Raphael. Yes. yes. Uh, Let's talk about this. I tweeted you this morning that you were going to be on the show. <laughs> she tweeted you this evening and yet you retweeted her. Oh. I told him it's because I'm prettier, <laughs> and he refused to believe it. He told me he was prettier. No, I agreed with you. That's definitely, <laughs> that's certainly probably so. part of what it is. <laughs> Maybe it's the timing is everything. Too, uh, the, right? I'm, you know? I'm just saying. I'm not complaining. You're, you're cute. I'm, I'm, not <laughs> I'm just. I'm just stating facts. This is what I do here. I'm just throwing facts. Mia out there. Culpa. I'm going to race right home and retweet it as soon as we're done. Burning in my phone just right now. Have them in my back pocket. That's what I want. What else are you working on? Obviously, you're on Once Upon a Time. We do that show here on AfterBuzz. I think it kicks butt because most AfterBuzz shows do. What else are you doing? Anything big coming up that you can release? Can we see you in a movie opposite Brad Pitt? next week maybe? Yeah, uh, you know Brad and I are talking it's <laughs> still uh, you know uh, yes no um, not, 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 not quite yet but um, you know basically where we are is that um, uh, Murder in the First obviously is tied up a lot of time and yep. and, um, and then I'm going back to I will be going back to work looks like in uh, uh, in what's you know in, in once upon a time as well as Murder in the First and I'm in that sort of uh, wild position which I've never been in my career and I've done this for a little while um uh, to be on two shows at the same time, which has been incredible. Um, I'm producing some things, which has been great. Um, and uh, I produced this one climate change video, which has actually gotten some nice nice play. Uh, Caltech uh, University here um, has been sort of promoting, which has been really cool, um, As uh, which is a very um, sort of um, a wonderful b- badge of sort of, um, I don't know, uh, credibility, I should say. Uh, we work with one of their scientists about climate change. Um, as well as there's several other things that I'm, I'm working on, but I'm 
I'm a little pregnant with, and I can't say it yet as much as I want to. But Uh-oh. but there's some there's some really cool things. I mean, I'm not pregnant actually at the moment, but <laughs> you heard it live here. <laughs> He's pregnant. Okay, um, no, um, I'm. Uh, but I'm. Uh, th- there's some things that I'll be able to actually tweet to you probably very soon. There so you go. as soon as I know, then I, I'll be able to tell you. But but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm working on the on the nonprofit, and I'm um uh and, and and currently obviously sort of going back and forth between these two shows. Tell me a little bit about these two shows because you have had such a long career from our perspective and such a successful career. We look at like IMDb and stuff. And we say, man, he's been in everything. He's been whatever. But in your perspective, is it good now to not just be on a ton of shows, but to find two where you sort of almost find a home and say, I know that assuming they keep getting picked up and whatever, I can be on these shows for a few years. I can establish myself and then take the next step. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, obviously being an actor, there, there are just, there are, um, more people who want places at the table than there are actually places to sit, right? So, so I, I am uh, so grateful for the opportunities I've had, and obviously to be able to have made a career and, and gone through different phases. You know, of of um, when I was a you know a young kid, um, certain roles that came to me, and and um, obviously as you mature and and things happen to your face and your hairline and all sorts of things that you begin to sort of you know other roles come to you, and and the fact that I've been able to continue to sort of find out find you know really not just work but really good work i mean obviously once upon a time is um an astonishing show um you know has seems like it's only sort of growing and growing and growing um in terms of its audience and its worldwide audience these sort of um fairy tales seem to translate across language barriers in a way that some other american entertainment doesn't Uh, i mean i get tweets from you know Poland and from Russia and from China mm-hmm. and from I mean uh, Japan and I mean uh, South America. It's incredible how um, vast that audience is, um, as well as then also then to work with then not only Stephen Bochco and Eric Lodal, um, you know, two incredible writers, um, uh, but then this cast. I mean, you know. Um, I've worked with a lot of wonderful actors over the years. Y- you, at the end of the day, you hope to be able to work with players who are great at what they do and who love to play a really a, a, a hardy game of tennis, as it were. You know, you get in the court and you want to play. And and, and this is, you know, again, in both cases, um, I feel like um, I've just won the lottery. You know, like I can't, I pinch myself, like I can't believe it. I can't believe that I'm in this place where I get to go work with one incredible group of people and then another group of people. Yeah, speaking about that, how do you change? You're Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> on Once Upon a Time, how do you go from Jiminy Cricket, okay, I'm going to go be Jiminy Cricket for the day, tomorrow I'm going to go be a detective. How do you do that? How do, Does it take more effort than, as somebody who doesn't, you know, as an audience, does it take more effort than what we see? Because it seems like you could just do it. Like you could just, <laughs> every day, be a new character. But yeah. is there is there something that you, do you think about it? Do you really, have you just, is it easier now that you've developed maybe one character being Jiminy Cricket for not just one season like you've, like you're doing for murder in the first is it different because you've been doing it for a little longer this is yeah you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's an interesting question I mean I, I, number one is obviously that's what we, what we do right I mean we do um, go I mean I have a couple of appointments tomorrow um, where I'm, I'm I'm already working in my head about these things that I'm walking in the room with um, and um, y- you know you're constantly sort of absorbing and digesting these parts and then moving through them obviously what what you know makes a great character is the great writing. So what they've done with Jiminy Cricket is they've written a really complex, interesting character that thankfully doesn't isn't just uh, dependent on him being 
goody two shoes, you know, right. um, you know, hey, gee whiz, you know, do the right thing, you know, let your conscience be your guide. They 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 actually created a character that came out of this terrible backstory, horrible, right. awful, which kind is of, not true, <laughs> which is not true. <laughs> and and then he found his conscience by virtue of sort of having right. done the wrong thing, and then really then have sort of really wanted to do the right thing. Um, again, what what's so cool about this show, um, Murder in the First, is that you have um, in this case. Um, uh, you walk on the set and you've got this whole thing, this world created for you. You know, they, they hand you your weapon, you know, they give you your badge and, and there's certain things that kind of, uh, you know, you just kind of lean into and they become kind of sort of, you know, kind of um, posts for you to sort of hold on to, to kind yeah. of sort of find yeah. your way through. So, that, that's been that's what's been so great. It really helps you kind of make it through. And I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit because you're saying good writing comes good acting, and I don't believe that. I think you can write something good, and if the actor is not right, if the actor is not good, it won't showcase. And I think you need to give yourself more credit because in all the things you've done that I've at least seen, I'm not gonna lie, I haven't seen everything you've done. You've done a lot of stuff. I'm <laughs> yeah. very jealous. But out of everything I've ever seen you in, I've always believed you. I, you've never been an issue with me. You're very versatile, which is. You know, very difficult to pull off in Hollywood. There's so many options out there. Everyone is an actor nowadays, especially here in L.A. Everyone is an actor. You go to New York, everyone's a theater actor. But you have successfully done so many different roles. How? How? Like, it's just amazing to me. Not just movies, TV shows. You do voiceovers, video games. Yeah. How do you live? Oh, like, you're a father? <laughs> how do you do it? How do you... I can barely feed myself and get to work and then come to AfterBuzz. How do you do it? I... I and you have two kids, right? Yeah. And you have I, a dog? Because that's I, another kid if you have a dog. I don't, I don't have a dog. Okay. I, I barely have plants. But I but I, I do I do teach, and, and, and I love that. And, and obviously... Um, um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I love being busy. I, I thrive on it and, and it's been, it's been great. And obviously, um, I, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to have perspective on yourself. Thank you for what you're saying. Um, it's very kind. I mean, you know, look, I, I uh, uh, you know, you try, you bring, I love what I do. I, I, I'm, uh, I find it sort of endlessly fascinating trying to sort of find your way into the head of, of, of a character and, and make, make a connection to him and, and make some sort of emotional sense of that um, and that I think is what we you know what really is kind of our job as actors um, and that's what I encourage when I teach as well um, and um, and and then um, you know I don't know what you, you just kind of there's some place in your head where you go and you kind of just sort of you you jump in and I and, and, and he's just gifted <laughs> is what he's saying. I don't say. <laughs> <laughs> or a little bit crazy. I don't know so much. <laughs> well, seriously, thank you so much for coming on. This was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Come really back fun. sometime. Come it's back for really, once. really cool to hear you talk. I mean, it's so spirited. I love it. I love that you could kind of go through that. I mean, to be able to sit here, I have to say, it's really cool. You should see us without a guest because we'll go 55 minutes on maybe the littlest thing or two in an episode. It's awesome. It's awesome. Like it's so fun. Thing. I feel like I'm in the cat bird seat here getting the yeah, white no, music. Like, <laughs> bing, bing, bing. It's really good. I'm just nervous to give up predictions in front of somebody who knows what's going on. Uh, right? Because he's looking at me like, no, you're totally wrong. It's not. No, not at all. I mean, I, 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 it's fast. It's really cool. I mean, I'm, hopefully I had enough of a poker space where you can sort of feel like, yeah, there yeah. you go. No spoilers. So producers, he didn't give us anything, so you don't need to Nothing. fire him or whatever. He didn't give us anything. <laughs> unfortunately. Oh, well. Hey, uh, Raphael, um, before we go, where can we find you? Twitter, Instagram, wherever you are. I know you're a prolific tweeter, so where can they find you? Uh, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's a wacky name. It's Raphael Sparge. Um, so um, you can find me there. Um, you can also find me, of course, on Instagram. Um, I've got a Facebook fan page too, if you want. So. I gotta, I gotta follow you on Instagram. So there oh, we go. Oh, we're, cool. Yeah. What about you, Monty? Twitter? 
You guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Monsi Bolanos. And I'm on Twitter at Bobby DeMiro, on Instagram at Mr. Bobby DeMiro, because that is the formal social network. Don't laugh at me. <laughs> Mr. Mr. <laughs> and remember, guys, uh, last thing in the Every Girl's Guide to Diet and Fitness, Maria's new book is out in stores right now and on Amazon.com and all those good places. And Greenwish.com. Your nonprofit, greenwish.com. We will link that up on YouTube. Good stuff there. A good intro video and a ton of information, a ton of places you can help out or get involved if you want to with that. So, greenwish.com. That's it this week on Murder in the First. Raphael, thank you very much. Keep watching. Coming out. This is awesome. <laughs> Keep watching. Yeah. We Five will be back next Monday. Marina and JB will be here. They will be back from the holiday. I promise. That's it this week on AfterBuzz, guys. Good night. From executive producers Maria Manunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.